0: Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I wanna engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. What's up, everybody? We are back at it again with Love Extremist Radio and today we have a little bit of a unique situation uh, because I've invited my friend Mike De La Rocha into the studio and he brought his friend Mark Gonzalez and so this is the first three-person conversation that we've had on 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 air but I'm going to start by introducing Mike and then he's going to introduce Mark so Mike is a strategist, a musician, and one of the most effective change makers of our generation. It's going to be very formal as co-founder of Revolve Impact. He is behind several of the largest policy victories and cultural shifts of the last 20 years. Highlights include founding artists for 47, a coalition assembled to pass California's historic prop 47 that has impacted more than 1 million people. And a co-founder of Athletes for Impact, a global network of athletes committed to social change. Mike's impact portfolio includes serving as director of strategic partnerships for Californians for safety and justice, legislative deputy for LA city council member and current Congressman Tony Cardenas and policy advisor for the LA human relations commission. His work in utilizing music for social change spans four continents where he has worked alongside notable cultural icons, such as Harry Belafonte, Dolores Huerta, and John legend, Mike pleasure to have you in the mix thank you
1: my love <laughs> <Ethan>. <laughs> so mike brought mark so who is mark who is mark it's such a loaded question um it's a
2: question s- i'm still trying to figure out <laughs> at 43
1: well yeah we're always so mark i would say is one of uh our world's greatest storytellers um he's an incredible father and husband a uh, change maker he's uh the founder and CEO of two incredible companies. Uh, one is called Department of the Future, which is really helping push us to see um, what is uh, in our creative minds that we can manifest in the future starting now. And also the head of the Institute for Narrative Growth, which is doing cutting edge work, I would say at the, at the intersection of uh, culture, story and technology. Um, he's also an incredible writer, published author, Uh, A book called Wage Beauty, which is like one of my favorite books that anytime you're going through any kind of emotion, you can pick up, flip through the book, land on a quote, make your life a little bit better for that moment. Mm. And then he also has another book um, uh, that's a love letter to his daughter called Yo Soy Muslim, which is a children's book that is uh, really disrupting this uh, false narrative of separation because of our different identities. And I just love him to death. So I felt like what better way to model brotherly love in real love than to have him join us.
0: Well, thank you for doing that. I think it's a really cool thing that you did. And can you just tell the backstory of kind of like, because because it illustrates a, a definition of love that I think I, I'd love to talk about. So the reason you invited Mark was not just because he's your homie and he's your brother,
1: yeah,
0: um, but also like there was an experience, right? What happened this past weekend?
1: Yeah, so I think um, I've, I met Mark in probably like 1999, 2000. Worlds were always uh, in motions, and we knew of each other in the art activist scene. Uh, and then we started doing more conscious, uh, intentional work together probably five years ago. Yeah, 2013. Yeah, 2013. So five, six years ago. Uh, our first thing that we did is we we got together and created something. Um, it was a it's a story song uh, called um, "Self Love is the Hardest Part." So we performed it at the first ever TED event in a California State Prison, yes. and uh, we did that. And then just started moving and creating neighbors and what, what we call lucha, and uh, helped create and Embrace LA here. And so as someone that I love dearly, that I can be open, vulnerable, scary, and all that stuff with, uh, we kind of tell each other our dreams, which is very sacred. Because you can't <laughs> tell everybody your dreams because some people will squash them or not yep. respond to them. <laughs> and so one of my dreams that I shared with them at the end of last year was like, I feel like I need to do more music and be more creative. And mm-hmm. so this past weekend, we... Uh, We're both at uh, Summit Series in Eden, Utah, and he was performing, and he asked me to perform with him on Friday, and we did a beautiful rendition of what we did seven, six years ago. And so I wanted to make sure that the world got to hear from his heart today. That's beautiful.
0: Well, I just want to say I just got done interviewing an incredible human named Brian Donovan who made a film called – Kelly's Hollywood about his uh, sister with Down syndrome who always had a dream of coming out to Hollywood and being a big star and he made it happen for one night and just went all out and he's an incredible dude. And he specifically spoke about sharing dreams and how one of the most powerful things we can do to cultivate love in our communities as activists is actually to be articulate with our dreams and to ask others what their dreams are And then to take action steps to be in support. And that doesn't have to be anything more than, um, you know, checking in on them next time you see them and being like, how's that dream? You know, or like, how's that passion going? Or maybe it's making an intro to someone who's been there and knows or can help them. Or maybe it's like, yeah, have you read this book? You know, it's like it doesn't have to be anything big. Mm -hmm. But just like that subtle, that simple, like your dream and believing in someone and their dream is a huge framing around a definition of love that I think is really on point for our communities. What do you got to say, Mark? I see you nodding over there. What do you think?
2: Um, just nodding an affirmation, nice. you know, both in terms of um, I'm a firm believer in not all stories are meant for all people. Mm. And so I think about that in the same way for dreams uh, in terms of anything of value. Uh, Sometimes we want to share with everyone, which is wondrous, Uh, but also understanding that there's frameworks and reasons why you should share and why you shouldn't. Um, And then also hearing the other side of what you're saying. And what I heard specifically when you were sharing about someone uh, who wanted to build a dream for another person and be able to allow them to experience that just for a moment in life um, just resonates with me in a lot of ways of having... uh, um, as you mentioned down syndrome and then i said st- my mind just started going through uh, beautiful people i know who've just had amazing physiological health challenges in their life or mental health challenges in their life and all the things that i've wanted for them so my mind started going down that rabbit hole of like wow what if so-and-so could have that or so-and-so could have that What if my brother could have had that what if my cousin could experience that mm. you know um if you think about just expanding the make-a-wish foundation right um from beyond um we're waiting for a person to die before creating the framework or the container for them to experience life to the fullest it's like what if we had that for every person mm. you know how would our daily life and our society and our interaction and our our the way we look at ourselves and each other change uh, if everybody knew that, the you know, they had a chance to make a wish. Um, that's what I was nodding to.
0: Yeah. Well, just to piggyback on that, this show really looks at love in three frames. Like self-love, love in partnership or, or kind of love, interpersonal love, and then love in the collective, right? Being beyond self, beyond partner into affecting change in the world. And when I think about self-love, I think about an exercise that I was challenged to do Um, where I was challenged to discover my perfect day. I got a diagnosis with brain cancer uh, a year and a half ago and I went to a healer type person and he was like, listen, you got to figure out what makes you happy and discover your perfect day and live that once a week. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, then try to do it twice a week and then try to make every day your perfect day. And I realized like I could have personal agency and self-love in that exercise And it's so hard to do initially because you're like, wait, what? I'm not like doing what everyone else expects of me. I'm just like finding what makes me happy and joyful and loving. And then when you get into a rhythm with that, it's actually like you can control that make a wish and be in self-love by enacting that in some way, you know, and sometimes it's just five minutes. Sometimes it's your whole day. But um, I, I hear you. One thing that I've heard from both of you is there's a feeling that you maybe shouldn't share your vulnerabilities just uh without some caution right like like both of you have kind of said or hinted at that what's that what is that why, why is that
2: um well so i i can lead on that for For me, I'm actually a big advocate of bold vulnerability and fierce vulnerability and seeing vulnerability as a strength, whether or not we go back to Renee Brown and her work really in terms of the power of vulnerability, Mm -hmm. what you actually find in terms of getting rid of um, um, the way in which vulnerability uh, is often branded in our current, especially masculine frame is like something to be ashamed of, like really going into it, embracing it. When I talk about um, not all stories are meant for all people, not all things are meant for all people, I specifically, though, am thinking about in a way of a society that has a tendency to commodify everything. Mm. Uh, And that way when we share things, sometimes people take it not with the, the intention of holding it, but the intention of marketing or selling it. Or sometimes they run with stories or with experiences and instead of thinking of power dynamics and frameworks of am I the best person to tell this story, should this be my story to tell? Should this be the experience? They just go, oh, no, we everything is for everyone. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not everything is for everyone. Is there a specific example to that that you could articulate? Um, most likely not. That doesn't put people on blast. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you know, and you know, <laughs> and uh, and I am a big advocate of calling in versus calling for out. Sure, you know, for sure. and so I'll just say that uh, <laughs> there there are plenty of experiences offline. You know, we can have conversations about, or when we're sitting with people, as as the conversation goes on, I'll try to think of okay, how did change names? For
0: sure. All right.
1: What do you think, Mike? Um, I think uh, you know. Um, I think Mark kind of articulated it the way I was thinking about it. I mean, for me, it was more so I, I feel the more and what I've respected about you, Ethan, and, and since we've known each other, is I think the more that you are vulnerable in all your identities and finding the strength in the in the fear, if you will, I think that's modeling a kind of loving culture. But I'm also acutely aware that, unfortunately, right now, Uh, in America and in the globe, it's not a loving culture. Mm. And so, um, based upon privileges and identities it's different for like a white man to be completely vulnerable than it is to say like a trans man of color, uh, because the way society is going to perceive him or her is going to be different. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I was saying it was more of like, I understand my privileges as like a white passing cis male um, that I could be vulnerable and I'm not going to have as much of a reaction as someone else possibly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my kind of hesitancy in the earlier part was around that. You mm-hmm. know? And so I'm, I'm aware when I go into spaces, trying to read the room, trying to push the room, but also being aware of like, at what expense of my own healing journey or what expense of my own health and how much do I share, you know? Um, so those things are all part of it, you know. It's interesting,
0: and and what's the what's the backlash? Like what what's the concern of um, what might come back to you if you share something that doesn't like that ends up not being appropriate? Is it like kind of being like, hey,
1: like you know, you got to understand, you're coming from a high tower and saying that, or? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, just last night. Uh, Having a challenging conversation with my mother, who was who was uh, distraught and crying, Um, you know, unexpectedly lost her life partner, my father, three years ago, Mm -hmm. and a friend of hers wanted her to take her to go see her granddaughter, who was passing away, at at the same hospital, same tubes, yeah, and uh, my mother uh, took her and you know being vulnerable (laughs) is taking her but was that the most self-healing thing that she could have done in that moment because then it triggered and trauma re-traumatized her and i'm sure she didn't sleep last night right Right. so it's kind of like all of those kind of dynamics so it's not as black and white to me you know um so it's more of like trying to figure out like you know uh what are the conditions that I'm in more so than the outward? And am I, am I willing to be able to, in that space, navigate those conditions? So interesting. So we I was telling you before we started that
0: we had a recent conversation about call-out culture yeah. and appropriate ways to call out or call in someone who might be behaving in a way that isn't supportive mm-hmm. or isn't, isn't productive to, to our world. And one thing that was said a couple of times by a couple people was you got to check yourself as the caller to see if you're being triggered and if you're in the emotional capacity to do this work or not and some people agreed and some people disagreed some people said if you see injustice you got to call it out it doesn't matter where you're at and others were like no you got to do the work on yourself because you're being triggered and you're almost falling into a victim nature there And it's not an act of empowerment necessarily to speak that truth. If you haven't worked through it yourself, Mm -hmm. if you haven't done that work. And it was a really interesting back and forth. And I think it it speaks to the constant, um, like, like shape shifting we have to do between self love and group love and partner love and like navigating all those. And like one's at the top of the priorities in this moment. And then the next is the group. And then the next it's my partner. And right. And like, it. Throughout the day, these things are changing in priority. And then it's your kids, right? What do you think, Mark?
2: I think that, so I I hear several things. One is when there's something wrong or there's violence occurring or there's something unhealthy, you know, in the society we live in, how do we respond to that? You know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of at the core. Um, Because I think sometimes we get in this, should we call it out or should we not call it out? And we figure instead of saying, you know, the goal isn't to call it out or not call it out. The goal is to transform that reality till the violence no longer exists. And we have a thriving environment that respects human beings, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, across shades and shapes of life and love. Um, And saying, okay, if that's our North Star, now it's no longer about I want to call you out or I want to call you in. Mm -hmm. It's about what is the wisest and most effective thing to move the needle to create the society and container that we, our children, our grandchildren and seven generations forward can have a space that celebrates, encourages and embraces life and love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing is that we we often look at tactics and strategies uh, and we lose sight of the North Star.
0: Uh, Yeah. And I would say that the North Star is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, like what was the North Star 20 years ago, Kevin Hart wouldn't be on the radio about. And yeah. yet, like now it's like, oh, yo, Kevin, like, it's not cool what you're talking about. Right. We're not going to have you host the Oscars. And whether he gets that or not, like that's the nature of the North Star yeah. evolving, you know. So to know what seven years from now it'll be, it's almost it's kind of beyond sometimes our, our capacity. Well, I, I think about it also
2: in the lens of um, I come from, you know, I'm a very flawed human being and I come from a very flawed family and I and I think I'm a part of a very flawed, amazing, imaginative species, <laughs> you know. And in that, I have to understand those dynamics always and just be like, okay, uh, I don't want to just get to the North Star alone Yeah, you know, I I think about this in a lot of spaces and I've left a lot of spaces, um, high profile spaces or et cetera. When uh, you enter and you walk in and I'm like, would my father feel comfortable here? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if the man who sacrificed, you know, 83 years of his life to this point to, you know, try to raise me, you know, as best as he could with other flaws and mistakes he made along the way. You know, if I'm like, it's like I want him to go to the North Star with me, you know, and for me, that's always what grounds every conversation. And, you know, and creates what we, you know, what I consider radical compassion, you know, for other individuals, which is just like, you know, my point here isn't to be right. My point here is to love you and for us to create a condition of love and to be like, how do we get there together? Because I don't want to be peace out. For you sure. know, and be like, oh, look at the mountaintop. How fancy it is up here <laughs> alone. You you were- yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, I, 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 yes. And you're standing on the shoulders of your father mm-hmm. and he stood on the shoulders of his to get where he got and to get where you are. And, you know, from what I know of us, we're charging into new territory all the time. So we bring our historic traditions and our families with us when we go into these places, and oftentimes it's true. They may not be the places where our forefathers would have been chilling (laughs) or or spending time, and in some ways, like, we are called to step into that and bring that uh, and bring ourselves to that. But I I agree with you, and I also want to, like, challenge that sense of, like, well, we've been—sometimes I think, like, man, like, there was— there's stuff that my family went through to get me to this incredible privilege that I'm in right now. And there's another thing that I think about that's maybe like a very, like, I don't know, I'm coming from um, like a Jewish tradition. And in the Jewish tradition, there's plenty of hardship and trauma and history that, that, that a lot of folks are privy to. Um, and, and there's also like a tradition of humor that there's a through line through it all. And sometimes when I think about, like, talking about justice and talking about, like, you know, going into challenging traumatic environments and really fleshing out and calling in and and confronting the challenges, sometimes I ask the question, um, and there's a number of people answering that from all different backgrounds, but, like, where's their space for a laugh? Where's their space Mm -hmm. to sit back and actually, like, be like, yo, like, this human experience is nuts. Like how well, how are we all trying to like be serious about this right now, <laughs> and and yet, you know it's a serious situation. You know, Mike, you just said like this is this is a place where love, you know, we're living in a time where love isn't the dominant conversation. Right. And so um, you know it's it's both. But um, what
1: is love? What, what how do you define that? Well, I was gonna say in response to your question around the justice piece and then also um, what Mark brought up. I think, um, you know, my definition for love is trying to break apart from binaries, um, break apart from boxes and, and build something that's um, boundless, for example. And I think the way that, capitalism and patriarchy and hypermasculinity works is it wants to build boxes around feelings, emotions, people, what have you. Got And fend so, to a label. yeah, it's like activism has to look like this or it's not. Love has to look like this or it's not. And I actually think this right here is a form of activism that's embodying love, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but maybe that's not what organizer X would say. And I feel like everyone has their own unique definitions about it. But I do think like part of the process of self-love, partnership love, community love um, is being able to be um, your own authentic, free spirit. Um, And then having the other person accept all of that for all of its wonder, beauty and flaws like Mark was talking about. But I think like it's it's such a constant reminder uh, every day even for me and the incredible team that i'm around to challenge me to deconstruct how my mind wants to compartment compartmentalize or box experiences or people in mm-hmm. i think that's a beautiful
0: it's a beautiful definition and and one i'd like to come back to i'd love to hear your thoughts about a definition of love or how you perceive it um How
2: I perceive it changes. Um, I have a four and a half year old, and I have an 11 month old, and I have a wife, and I have an 83 year old father, and I have a mother who passed 26, 27 years ago, and a brother who passed last year, and two sisters who are alive. So, um, and I love them all, you know, Mm -hmm. and each day, both with uh, the longer it gets since, you know, mom or my brother passed, and as dad gets older and as my younger ones, you know, start to emerge and, like, the second one came into our life a year ago, love is changing, you mm-hmm. know, every day. And so I don't... Um, I, one thing I am reminded of is that most languages have multiple words for different styles of love. You know, I know Hebrew is one of them, Arabic is another, uh, Spanish even has, you know, the difference between te amo and te adoro. Um, and then in, in English we get love. Right. <laughs> you yep. know, and I think that's also partially what drives is, you know, as we know linguistically, language not only articulates reality, it creates it. Um, is I think part of our confusion is that we're trying to fit a galaxy mm-hmm. of emotions and brilliance and relationships and, and residue uh, into this. Or letter word <laughs> right
0: it's amazing that's so that's such a beautiful point that we haven't caught on you know and all the conversations I've had about love so far like yeah language is like such a such an interesting bound and just you were talking about like one like breaking free of the boundaries in in love and I often think about like I ask this question what comes after love Like once we have all the love in the world, what's next? And the best answer I've gotten to that question is oneness Mm. is like unity. Mm. And yet, you know, always like thinking about the other side, it's like, what about identity? Right. What about our traditions? You know, our families, these things that we carry with us, the languages that we that we have that can express in so many different ways, like. As we move towards oneness or intend to become, break down the barriers of separation and, and you know, the myths of the rugged individual conquering all and, 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 and what that says, you know, from our patriarchal capitalist world, there's also this sense of like, well, how do we preserve maybe its collective identities that do serve us or that do give us a sense of pride or a sense of connection? sense of family I mean family is the original community what do you think
1: well I I mean I was gonna say I think you know bell hooks defines it as love is a verb and an action and so the way I think about it is that every moment provides us as a people as a person as a family as a community to be more loving and Mm -hmm. embody love so that our purpose in life should be to embody that both in mind, body, and spirit. Right. And so then that translates out into experiences, into identities, into, you know, interactions and stuff like that. So to me, I think, you know, our traditions that we are reclaiming that have been intentionally stolen were about what you're talking about. We're about like bringing us to source, Mm -hmm. bringing us to oneness, to unity. And again, it goes back to that was an action. It was a tradition, a custom that asked us to act, mm-hmm. both internal and external. Right. So, what what I hear
2: in your your question, specifically in terms of how do we get to this space of oneness, and then what is the role of identity or individualism within that? Right. Um, is I think of the idea of. Um, Another way of, to think about it is when people say, well, when you mention about one love, am I going to lose myself? Mm. You know, the idea if I throw everything in, you know, who am I? Um, and I think that's a very real fear. And I I, I want to put that there because people sometimes have fought very hard to hold on to a sense of self, you know. In, in when it world. goes
0: back to what we were talking about, about vulnerability in spaces that might not be so warm, right? So going back to language,
2: though, I think that one, sometimes we collapse oneness with sameness. Mm, and these are yeah. different things. I think in <laughs> terms of, uh, of a, a linguistic shift of oneness, also what we're really trying to articulate is connectedness. Yeah. You know, and the oneness is really the thread that connects everything into, uh, into quote, one, but it's still separate.
0: It's like the one um, is the shell.
2: Yeah. This, From a social theory standpoint, uh, Pop Culture Collapse, I used to do a lot of work on this, and there's a center in Canada as well. Uh, The word pluralism uh, comes in um, of this idea, and I think part of it is people trying to grapple both with the language and uh, a model that says, I can be me, and I can give all of me and still be me, Mm -hmm. you know? And that goes back to Mike saying of, like, really exploding this binary concept of you can only be it here or you can be here. You can only be yourself or you can lose yourself completely. And I think these frameworks did a lot of damage to us as well-attentioned as some people tried to advance them.
0: Yeah, there's this this quote from a rabbi way back in the day who said he would kept two pieces of paper, one in each pocket, and he'd take them out at different times whenever he needed them. And one said... I am but dust and ash and the other one said the universe was created for me and you know throughout the day (laughs) you might need one or the other but it is very polar in that way and i do think you know when you think about fractals you think about like organic organisms every snowflake is different and beautiful Mm -hmm. and yet it's all part of this organism of the universe right and so you know Acknowledging our differences, our beauties, the contributions we can make, our creative thought, the th- you know, what's the gold of being in this body while understanding that, you know, I personally believe the through line is actually love. Mm-hmm. And at the end of our lives, the questions we're going to be asking are, did we love and were we loved? And most people, mm-hmm. that's just the consensus. Mm-hmm. And so when we get, when we break it all down, like whatever we might be doing in the world, and it could be out of a lack of love or like searching, you know, and trying to get it. And, and sometimes it's, you know, misconceived as success or as acceptance or as power. But at the end of the day, really, like to me, you're kind of clowning if you're not real about right. it being love. Right? It,
2: you know what? One thing you said, though, that really, <clears throat> um, uh, makes me laugh and also think um, it's because you ask questions, you know, did you love and were you loved? Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of times uh, a lot of people I know will go into, yes, you know, I loved, I loved, I loved, I loved, I loved, I gave, I gave, I gave. But if you ask them, were you loved? Mm. And also did you allow yourself to be low?
1: How to (laughs) allow yourself?
0: That's something a lot of people, you know, it's so difficult. I'm currently, to be vulnerable with you both, like going through this a little bit with my financial situation, I think I, I haven't really, like I've always self-sabotaged <laughs> and felt like, oh, no, like I can't actually make real money. You know, like I can pay myself a little bit, but like nothing, nothing, you know, significant. And, and there was this, like it's that allowance. It's that saying like, you know what, actually, like I do deserve val- value that, can increase over time as i get more experienced i do deserve to be compensated for my time and to stand up for that and it's that's been hard but uh reminds me of what you're saying you know that ability to let love in and accept it and, and to truly enjoy it mm. We need to learn how to do that so do you have practice do you have ways your practices how do you
2: do it um well I think that's a great question for all of us is how do you let love in yeah. you know of of having an a, a amazing you know life partner and a lazy mother you know the, the little ones um I'm reminded every day that I can do it better mm-hmm. you know that I'm like oh and not from a like I'm suck you know <laughs> I you know which I think we can also go too hard on ourselves but I'm always you know increasingly just like oh, am I really letting people in? Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's it's hard. It's a hard, every day as a person who's lived his life for probably 10, 20 years, holding conversations around both vulnerability and boldness in parts of the globe. Um, even after 20 years, you're just like, okay, and how do I give myself? You know especially and i think it goes idea of like um and i I don't want to say for everyone so i'll speak for myself but for those of us who weren't taught that right growing up you know whether we say as an individual as we say as young men we say as young men of color but it's like we weren't taught how to let yourself be loved you know and so then it gets back into that question you were sharing a little bit earlier it's like you know how do you become your own mentor yeah you know, and you're just like, can I get some help? Can I can I get some support here? Like like, because I want to do this
1: thing. You know, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts,
0: Mike? Yeah what what are your practices?
1: Well, the practice. Well, what was coming to me was our our first teachers are our guardians or parents that teach us about love. I happen to be the son of two teachers, and it's funny. Uh, The full circle of why Mark's here is a book that I've been uh, writing for three years. And Mark's been a part of the process is called Teaching My Father How to Love. Wow. Uh, Because as an immigrant from Mexico who didn't really know his father and the relationship was beautiful and harmful at the same time. He didn't know how to love me the way that I need to love and I didn't have the words to express to him how I needed to be loved mm-hmm. um, And the greatest thing that I saw in his final years uh, on this planet w- was he got to ex- Experiment with love with his grandkids. Wow. Yeah So um, I kind of feel like he learned how to express love to my brother and I through the way he interacted with his grandkids. And so, um, a lot of
0: families see that. Yeah.
1: So, you know, um, I think it's a lifelong question. A particular practice I do is, you know, I meditate every morning, 20 minutes to at least kind of ground myself to be open. Nice. Uh, But I think it's also choosing those that you uh, have around you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, for me, like a Mark and others that we're all trying to be better versions of ourselves, uh, in, in a state of love. Yeah. So the thing
0: that's coming up for me before I ask my next question that I just want to share as a practice is like learning how to listen actively. Like this podcast for me has been one of the most amazing meditation practices and that I'm not distracted we're like having a conversation and it's just like, we're, you know, we're, we're reacting to what we're saying and we're consciously going through, you know, and, and, and to me that's a meditation. But it's also like that active listening is a gift that you give to the person who you're listening to. And for others to feel heard, to feel seen, I find to be a powerful practice and one that rewards me too because it means then I can ask the questions that lead to the stories, that lead to the wisdom, that lead to the vulnerability. And to our point of perhaps not being vulnerable all the time, I've noticed that sometimes that does bite me, you know, in the butt, because sometimes at the end of the day or, you know, I might've talked to someone and gotten into it and realized, whoa, I wasn't ready for what they had to bring you know or you know they they might have been going through it in a way that just that 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 had an energetic res- response and it was challenging for me to to hold and so that's that's a, a learning so it, it makes me re- you reflect back on what we were talking about about how sometimes you need to be sensitive to who you're talking to and where you are so as to best engage actively and and, and be a responsible host well,
2: I think one of the principles that guides my life, and it's been a key part of, of Mike and I knowing one another and even several things we've done together, which is we cannot heal what we will not face. Mm-hmm. And so from the space of how am I allowing myself to be loved, I think part of it is a lot of us will feel we need more love or we want more love or we want to be loved. Um, but we may not include ourselves in what are the barriers to me being loved mm-hmm. and so I think one of the things is for even a person to just have a kind of reflection moment with take yourself out to lunch or take yourself out to dinner or take yourself out to some place you can just be with yourself for a while and to just have some honest reflection time of one like visualizing a dam you know and a river of just amazing blessings and goodness and warmth and then to understand that one of the primary dams You know to that river coming to you is you you know it's like you've built a dam nine times out of everything of the goodness Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's not you know and there are exceptions to to the to the rule um and so but to just kind of visualize to be that and be like how am i building a dam to Mm -hmm. all the amazingness you know you mentioned the word self-sabotage you know and to, to really think about that, like some, some of us, whether it's in our lifetime or it's genetic inheritance, we're masters of self-sabotage, mm-hmm. you know, and to just really think about like, oh, how am I not, how have I built a dam to all the blessings that are trying to flow into my life? And then you can actually go back. And if you want to do a kind of like emotional audit, it be like, OK, what are some key instances? Mm-hmm. And to then take inventory. Oh, this is how I did that. And then also to ask, like, how, how could I have done this different? You know, and I think for me, you know, I do a lot of systems design. I think those type of process of, like, sitting emotionally, but then actually mapping out, like, helped me a lot in terms of, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Now I still have to do the damn thing. Right. <laughs> you know, but at least it's like, okay, I've, I've got a roadmap.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a super helpful for a lot of people, definitely, it's- like no looking back and seeing, and even checking in on your day, like at the end of the day, writing down all the things you did and how they felt, you know, and what you're feeling afterwards. That can be a really powerful practice. I've been learning a little bit about uh, just to, to kind of check in, and be like, you know, what what how am I how am I coming off this day, and how do I want tomorrow to be? So, what's the story of you two? Like, how did you guys be, become friends? What, what what what's the what's the Mark and Mike connection? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um I started earlier so you could <laughs> yeah
0: so you know uh so
2: in Mike's bio talking about his work at city council and commissions around 99 2000 2001 is when I moved to California from Colorado at the time, cool. uh, living in this uh a glamorous uh area called Riverside uh, for multiple <laughs> years <laughs> which yes. I, I still have a 909 number in like you know the the Rolodex. Um, But around that time, um, really falling in love with storytelling, and it was the time deaf poetry took off and did that, and TED Talks and did that. So it was uh, building a visibility of kind of like, you could say, a creative intellectual that loved the world. Um, And people were like, why is this? Mexican on HBO with the Palestine t-shirt talking about testosterone is the real terrorist. They're like this, you know, and they're like, I, I, I'm confused. Face of the future. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, well, you know, know, so, um, you know, I had also just gotten like the UN global conference on racism was going on and all these different things. And for me personally, people saw causes, um, For me, I saw the 14-year-old me that had his mother commit suicide and had about four to five years of just like feeling like the world was horrible and then realizing trying to ignore the pain wasn't dealing with it and starting to talk to people across, you know, at first who I played basketball with and those who I loved Wu-Tang with and those, you know, we'd stay up late at night with, uh, trying to figure out like, Yo, what have you gone through in life, and how are you dealing with that? Wow. You know, and that became kind of the conversations I'd have where I where I was at in the world, um, and so I quickly took note um, of those who wanted stage for the sake of stage, mm-hmm. you know, of the spotlight, and those who saw it as a medium, you know, or a, a, a roadway, you know, to to where. To this world we were trying to get to, and that's when I first, you know, connected and heard about Mike. The other reality was uh, around the time um, um, uh, someone we both knew had uh, uh, her daughter killed in a crash, oh, wow. uh, and I had written the eulogy uh, for the, the the funeral around that time. And I think all of us who were there, we also just developed a, a deeper connection with one another through that. Um, I left LA for many years um, and went to about 16 different countries, um, holding discovery and listening series. And around 2012, 2013, um, Mike called. Uh, I, I think you called. I don't even think we it was an email. Yeah. It was an email. I called, and he's like, "Hey, I was followed a- your work. I know you know we connected years ago. I'm doing." Um, TED X Ironwood, the first TED talk in a California state prison, as part of a, uh, an on-ramping initiative for Proposition 47, which would eventually become the largest prisoner release in US right. history. You wanna do something? And I was like, first I was like, How are you? Like, I, it <laughs> was good, and of course. Yeah. And then just from that time together, you know, we did several other initiatives together. Um his father's passing and the working on his memoir um the initiative we're doing in north africa and and really inviting him and his company to come out there both from a relaxation standpoint but also uh, really expanding the work we're doing to different parts of the globe mm. um that's that's been the journey and i think really of just having both the transparency and an accountability buddy uh in life uh is really amazing, especially uh both with little ones and both not having mentorship for really how to do this thing and being like, hey, so I screwed up on this. You got any ideas about like how how I could not screw up so bad?
0: Right. Um that's been kind of the journey. Wow. It's interesting <laughs> that you both kind of share that sense of like maybe not having mentorship perhaps from like an elder but having that peer-to-peer mentorship. And that's something I can relate to for sure. Um, You know, I certainly have a strong father figure in my life and, and and feel very privileged to have had that and also don't have a lot of, like, creative mentors like that. And it's mostly peers. So it's beautiful to see how that's flourished and you've recognized each other. And I think there's something in... Being adults and identifying your people, and like not being, yeah. And I don't mean to be like, oh, you're not my people, you are my people. But what I mean to be is like, we share something, and I see your work, and I respect you, and I'd love to collaborate. And doing that from a place of authenticity and not like, oh, I'm trying to make a billion bucks, but like, it's like, no, let's see, let's see how we can support each other. Mm. I think that's something that. Uh, I really admire about this story and something that I aspire to in most of my peer-to-peer relationships that I'm developing is that similarly. um, And I think that there's something really powerful in that love there of both kind of recognizing in yourself, I'm looking for people that are mirrors, you know, and then saying like, this is the type of mirror that that's beautiful to me. You know, it's got a cool frame, and it's just about my size. <laughs> you know what I mean,
1: <laughs> metaphorically. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know the I, the whole time we were talking about uh, Mark being a Chicano from Alaska, because they exist there. Like he always reminds me, in Chicano from Oxnard. Um, and both of us, I think, a real influential part of our, our existence and our development as humans has been the Zapatista movement. And the Zapatistas uh, have this quote of many that we are the same because we are different, uh-huh. which to me is the definition of love. And I'm thinking, I was thinking about how, how, like, how did the TEDx thing happen? And one thing that I think is incumbent that I feel um, part of my calling. Um, as a person that identifies as Chicano, as Latinx, I feel like we, as that's one of many identities I, I embody, but that ethnic identity I think is, we're on a mission to disrupt the invisibility of us in circles, all circles, all conversations. And I remember with the TEDx thing, there was a couple of things that was going on. One, I knew there wasn't enough story and song and, and art, and I knew it was gonna be a deep day, and we were the only art piece. Mm. Um, The other piece Mm. of it was I wanted to center a brown man in front of a predominantly brown incarcerated population. Um, And then the other thing was just I feel Mark makes me a better human being and a better artist and better everything else. Mm. Um, And I always know that his success is my success and vice versa. So I'm always trying to be like, well, this opportunity was afforded to me. But guess what? In that process, they can learn about another mirror mm-hmm. that is is great. So I think that's kind of, you know, we're better as teams and collectives and stuff. And if you find your tribe, like you were saying, the tribes make you the better version of yeah. what God created you to be. So um, similar to this radio show. i'm so glad that yeah
0: that we had a surprise extra mark in the in the studio today so i just want to shine a light on what you just said and like literally like highlight it because it's really really powerful when we recognize those relationships we have that bring us to be better that where we step up into abilities we didn't even realize maybe we had or we are our best version of ourselves. Those are the types of relationships we want to cultivate and continue to build on, and um, there's something really beautiful about recognizing those, regardless of who they're with, and you know what age you are, and what what situation might say, no, like it's not appropriate, or I'm too busy, you know, really actually putting priority into those individuals that challenge you to grow and help you, and as a mirror, right, and so. I appreciate you saying that and think that's a really important exercise for everyone to think about um, as we as we move forward on our path as love activists in the world. <laughs> um, we got a, a couple more minutes and um, I want to make sure that we kind of wrap up in a, in a beautiful way. So I, I'd love for you both to maybe share something that you're proud of that you're working on that uh, you see is kind of spreading, spreading love and in, in, in the world or could be just in your life, but something, something that you want to share that you're working on that you want others maybe to check out uh, and also just how, how other people can find you.
1: Um, what am- The thing I'm most proud of is uh, about to have A 15-year-old daughter and a six-year-old child so every ounce of my love is trying to make sure that they're as incredible as they are Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say that's probably my greatest achievement in process or progress and I think uh you know the I'm really blessed to be a part of a company creative agency called revolve impact that you can follow online we do amazing stuff from schools not prisons to athletes for impact to all those things but i think the thing that is most close to my heart is this book that i was telling you about um because i feel like this conversation made me think a lot about uh not just the writing of it but like the distribution of it and like what are the practices tools what have you Mm -hmm. Because uh, even this last go around in the conversation, literally right before, uh, thinking reflecting on my father, he had his best friend Cliff that was his mirror that he would go to the gym and go running with. Like there's these kind of nuggets that when you when you study research and look at lives that have been profound and impactful, what are those consistencies and mm-hmm. practices or not of? So I think. Um, I think it's incumbent on us to, uh, really address masculinity and patriarchy and ego, which, Mm. uh, is the root of a lot of the madness going on. And it has to take men to deconstruct masculinity, Mm -hmm. uh, and rape culture and all of that. And so I'm, very cognizant of like so if my contribution legacy is like trying to start a conversation and learn from my own process and my father's maybe that's a legacy that my child will then children will take and make even greater Mm -hmm. so this is the year of finishing next year is maybe the year of like liftoff at least on the memoir piece Mm -hmm. but i think that's something that on a personal level Oh, thank you, Mike. What you got, um, Mark? Um,
2: so I'm part of a team that uh, both purchased, acquired, renovated, and is opening an 8,000-square-foot well-being and global retreat center on the African side of the Mediterranean oh. on the coastal city of Sus, uh, literally titled Garden of the Beloved. Wow. Um, which also has a, a, a very oh. spiritual... Um, Um, spiritual meaning in our tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm excited about that because one um, I know so many amazing beautiful people that um, are are burning out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and unless you take them out of their current environment and lifestyle um, they're going to continue burning out. And so the fact that we have both a center and a boutique hotel to host people from across the globe that we love for a week to a month um, long time um, excites me um, it's also the first part of a network of purpose driven spaces to really look at a new model for revitalization of regions uh, that doesn't displace people uh, but actually embraces and evolves on uh, them uh, so those two things make me really excited the last part is something that's been a kind of passion project um, that it's going to be a lot more of 2019. But being a little bit of a nerd um, and being a a very much in some ways a kind of tech and futurist nerd, Mm. um, but also a nerd of the heart, is saying how can these converge, innovation and human development. Mm. Uh, So there's a group of us that have been uh, exploring these concepts uh, of empathy technology. What is the role of Mm tech, VR, AR, machine learning, uh, effective computing, uh, and helping empathy scale. Uh, Google has an empathy lab, MIT has the deep empathy lab. Um, There's beyond apps, there's some really interesting like programs going on. Um, And I'm excited uh, really about this initiative we're going to do, which is really researching across the globe, what are the companies, the technology and the individuals who are finding both analog and digital ways to scale empathy with empathy being uh, the the worldview that everyone is just another version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that I think I'm really excited about um, Wow! in the coming year or two. And
0: where do we find you?
2: Uh, you'll find me in Tunisia. Actually, is I hit a, in a plane tomorrow. Digital <laughs> Where do we find it on the digital, If you go to Instagram and you look up Garden the Beloved, you'll you'll see more about this site. The New Medina is up there, and if you do both Google search, uh, Google search of the New Medina, the Medina being a, known historically as the old city, right. uh, but we forget it was actually the new city. It was Mm. the first part of a city founded that became the building block of entire civilizations that had a a market, a spiritual place, the mosque. It had educational places. Uh, It was designed to be a village that uh, addressed all components of human life. Mm. We're like, what does that look like in the 22nd century? Um, Especially as they're being bulldozed uh, in this kind of export of suburban development is is the model uh, countries are taking in. Um, so you can find either of those, the new Medina or Garden of the Beloved.
0: Dope. Well, lastly, I got we got three creatives in the room. Mm. We probably all have different favorite love songs. Mm. Uh, but we need one for an outro. So what's gonna happen is you two are gonna voice your favorite love song and I'm gonna choose one for <laughs> our outro for this episode. Mike De La Rocha and Mark Gonzalez. This has been an incredible conversation. Thank you for spending an hour with me. Uh, the first three-way. Yes. <laughs> the many, hopefully. Well, yeah, right, exactly. The first of many. But what do you got? Um, I'll,
2: I'll actually, I mean, you, we could go over all the classics, but for some reason, and it's probably because I really miss um, my daughter's Um my oldest daughter, Surat really loves uh, Julian Angus Stone. Uh, and I'll tell you, but you already know. Yeah. Um, over and over and over, she'll be like, Baba Baba, it's our
1: song. And so that's what came to mind. Okay. Uh, music is soundtracks to to memories and moments. So mm-hmm. My first thought was... <laughs> Peter Gabriel's in your eyes because of Say Anything. And then I thought about one from you too because that's been consistent. And then I actually thought about Woman from John uh, Lennon. Yeah, wow. Dude,
0: that youtube video in the gospel church that you like found years ago i still like watch that and lose myself every time it's so dope well thank you all for being here this has been another episode of love extremist radio please review share subscribe rate comment do all the things that people do on the internet these days and get offline and spread some love in your world in your community and in yourself I hope this has been as enlightening for you as it was for me. And I want to thank Mike and Mark for being here. And see you on the next one. Peace. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Is it getting better?